Hey everyone, this is Nate, Simpleton Number One. We, uh, I'm joined here with my, with my beautiful wife, K.S. Anglesey. Uh, she likes to go by, or we'll just keep it with that, K.S. Anglesey. Um, we have just got done attending the first day of the virtual World Fantasy Convention 2020, and uh, so we're gonna do a little dispatch, and we're just gonna talk just a little bit about some of the uh, panels that we we attended and some of the things that stuck out. And first of all, I just want to say this is fantastic. Um, thank you, uh, World Fantasy for Conve Convention, for all of the the work you've done. It is uh, a hard thing to try to do something like this um, over Zoom. <laughs> Everything is over Zoom, but I think they're doing a great job, don't you? Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, I think so too. So, uh, anyways, we'll just kind of go from class to class. My uh, uh, my wife is a little bit intimidated by the microphone, so we're gonna try to get her to talk as much as we can here, but we'll see how it goes. Um, so, uh, the first, uh, before they kicked off the opening ceremonies, which was later on during the day, they had uh, some panels that they had before that. And the first one we went to, which I guess was the first panel they had for the day, was collecting books. Uh, I found it uh, quite interesting. Um, there was a few things that I thought that, that kind of stuck out on me. First of all, uh, what they talked about was what made uh, books special, you know, and some of the issues they went into that with that one. But I thought, I thought what was interesting that one one of the things I thought was interesting that they brought up was that in the United States, at least when it's when they're collecting books, that dust jackets are like one of the most important things of those books, which yeah. I. Never would have guessed that. I wouldn't either. It was it was interesting. Um, and then another one that kind of stuck out to me is they talked about the uh, collectors don't really go after numbered copies because it's. Uh, I, I I didn't totally understand why. Did you get catch that point? Yeah. Well, let's see. They're not usually first editions, is what I wrote down. Oh, okay. So, well, that would make sense because the ones that are the most exciting are the the ones that are are the first editions, right? Yeah, and at that point, unless it's like a hugely popular author, they wouldn't know what's gonna what's gonna do. Right, right. So, like a first printing of Harry Potter wouldn't be numbered because nobody thought it was gonna be that big of a deal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. The ones that they start numbering are obviously, unless it's a marketing gimmick, right? And they probably do that. But what were the things that stuck out to you in that in that um, session? Um, I think like the the biggest thing that I got out of it was that if you're gonna collect books, you should collect books that you enjoy. I've always been intimidated by the idea of trying to collect books because I wouldn't know what's valuable. I'd be afraid I'd spend money on something that would be worthless. But, you know, if you're buying a book because you like the book, then it's a lot less intimidating, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to learn, obviously, about collecting books. I think that was obvious in the short time that we spent in that class. But... Yeah, I think that was the things that, I mean, collect what you like, right? And that should be the whole point of collecting. Mm -hmm. If you don't like what you collect, then why do it, I guess? I don't know. Because you're not going to get rich off of collecting things. It doesn't matter whether it's books or shot glasses, which is what I collect. But, right? I don't know. I mean, you have to kind of yeah. enjoy what you do. So, 
Anyway, well, the next uh, session after that was self-publishing. It was a fantastic class. Uh, she had great information. Um, talked about Kindles. She talked about um, Ingram Spark, direct to digital, uh, things like that. Um, you mentioned that you're really not necessarily um, wanting to self-publish, so you were kind of intimidated by some of this. But did you find any useful useful information that she talked about? Um. Well, I didn't stay for the whole thing. <laughs> okay. If you recall, because you were intimidated. <laughs> well, and yeah, plus, I, we had to go pick dinner. Up. Oh, that's um, right, dinner. Or maybe it was Brayden. At any rate. Either way. Um, yeah, I I mean, it just sounded like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if, if I recall what she was talking I mean, the thing is, that that's why you have somebody like her. So you have somebody that you pay, uh, if you can afford it, I guess, to uh, help you get your book out there. Um, I don't know what you would call that type of a person, I guess. Um, if, if she's listening, she can answer that question, uh, what, what it was. But she also she also talked about not only the, the publication things, but how to advertise your books as well. As she mentioned, things like uh, NetGalley, um, Kirkus, Indie Reader, Forward Reviews, uh, BookBub. And I haven't heard of most of these. I haven't heard of Goodreads uh, and things like that. But some of these others I hadn't heard anything about. Had you heard of any of those? Um, I know BookBub. Bookbub and Reedsy. Mm-hmm. So you'd heard of some of those. Mm-hmm. And most of those are, are, if I'm not mistaken, they were websites that um, uh, if you're a writer, you can put your book on there or at least put your profile on there. And if you're a reader, you can write reviews or actually, in the case of NetGalley, it looks like you could actually sign up to receive advanced copies of books so you can read them and review them for for your blog which i've done that before in a small capacity years ago uh, and i got three or four books free of charge just because they i had a blog and they <laughs> i guess they they let me and my blog had like five people that would read it every year maybe i don't know anyway <laughs> the next one we looked at or, or listened to was a uh, power dynamics in fantasy it was fascinating. Um, I think you were scribbling notes faster than me. So, what was some of the stuff that you found out? I mean, because your you your genre is really a, a lot that you write is in fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so, this is probably something that you paid extra special attention to. So, what were some of the things that stuck out to you? Um. Well. I know um, one of the first things I wrote down was the social hierarchy and um, I guess they talked a lot about um, like magic in in um, societies and stuff but really no matter even if you're not really writing fantasy so much as just otherworldly story um, to think about who has the power and what that looks like and what the social structure is what the family structure is um, uh, who has the power what does that look like um, what is what does it look like when power is used rightly or wrongly so, um, I guess 
because I write fantasy and I'm interested in this idea of like different types of cultures and how they would interact and that sort of thing, I, I get really rolling my own ideas through um, things that they're saying and sometimes I'm a little harsh on myself <laughs> like oh my story sucks <laughs> well I, I, that's probably a generic I wouldn't say generic but it's probably pretty normal for authors to be that way don't you think um maybe maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, what was uh, some of the specific things that stuck out to you like maybe you hadn't thought about that before you're like oh wow yeah I can incorporate that into my story was there anything um Uh, one thing that somebody brought up in the question portion was um, asking about what it looks like when the historic power is declining or dying off and, you know, new power is coming or moving up in the, in the society. Because um, I hadn't really thought too much about that um so they were just saying that like the ancient lore that people would be clinging to or maybe you could even call it religion would be in decline people wouldn't be believing that anymore mm-hmm. yeah and right. the leaders in p- power would no longer be receiving um, popular support right right so i thought that was interesting yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, I, there was a lot of uh, a lot of good information in that one. I thought it was it was it was interesting, but um, you definitely scribbled down more notes than I did. And actually, I think you did that for the uh, next one, <laughs> which was the uh, the magic for sale. I mean, I listened and I got good stuff out of it. But I mean, you're the note taker for sure. Uh, but one of the thing, so the magic for sale. They really talked about what was the cost of magic. Uh, what would you pay for it? Uh, money your life uh what were the things so uh, especially in a lot of fantasy magic when it's used always there's always a cost whether it be um the cost for somebody to receive the magic or the cost for the person who's performing the magic to use it right so what was some of the things that you got out of that uh, session um definitely you know the continued reminder that you really have to think through like what your your magic is what the cost for it is um in terms of like what it does to the magic user or to the people around the magic user um there was a few different things they mentioned that I just kind of scribbled questions down like um, what does the culture look like to an outsider? Um, you know, if you're, you've got somebody going across cultures, they're not used to seeing magic, so what does that look like to them? How would they describe it versus how does an insider, somebody who lives in it, think about it or talk about it? Mm-hmm. Um Uh, let's see. 
they talked about like magic and technology in the same like in the same kind of story and how do you balance um what makes sense like in certain situations it just makes more sense that you would use technology versus magic and and, uh, vice versa that's actually something that they use a lot in like um from what I'm finding out, like steampunk books, there's this uh, use and mixing of magic and technology a lot. So definitely, yeah. Um, and I like that idea because I, I, especially when you don't want your magic users to be all powerful, you want to be able to have non-magic users be able to invent something that can give them an advantage. Mm, Other, yeah. Otherwise, your magic users a god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? They become omnipotent or um, omniscient, you know? Well, that's yeah, not omnipotent. I, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Like, I've played a lot with exactly how to paint the magic mu- users in my novel because I want there to be magic users. I want there to be a wizard, but I want them to be more servants of the society, not be the overlords. And so I keep playing with these different ways of how to shape the society so that there's repercussions if they misuse magic that are severe enough that they're motivated not to misuse it right even though they have the power to right makes sense hmm. that's interesting anything you know ah, any other thoughts on that class or on that uh, on that session one thing I did like, uh, somebody mentioned like unforeseen consequences. Like when we look at the real world and technology, I mean, when things were first invented, like when the industrial revolution first hit, it was like this great thing, but nobody could have foreseen at that point what it was going to do to the environment. Yeah. And so. As you know, you can maybe build that into a story, even with a with magic users. Like they're over here doing this one thing, they have no idea that the side effect of that is devastating this other portion of society or something. So, right, huh? Yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a good point. So after after that uh, session, we went into the opening ceremonies and. Uh, um, a lot of the guests of honor or whatever weren't able to show up, but the Toastmaster was there, and of course that made me happy. I was over here like a little a child, uh, giddy and happy, and because uh, Tracy Hickman was... Uh, I walked into a bookstore when I was probably 11 or 12 years old and just walked up to... Um, literally just walked up to the Dragonlance section, which wasn't that big at that point in time. We're talking, I think, the Chronicles were out and maybe Legends were out, and that was it. And um, I didn't know anything about him. It wasn't like anybody told me about him, but I just happened to pick up Chronicles Volume 1 and, and read it, and I became a big fan of Tracy Hickman ever since. So I was very excited to see them. The song that they had was pretty funny. That was enjoyable. That was yeah. entertaining. That was good. So we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back uh, to just talk about the, the evening sessions at the World Fantasy Convention 2020 Virtual. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back. Hey, uh, so we're going to talk just a little bit more about the world uh, virtual World Fantasy Convention 2020. And uh, just talk a little bit about the uh, sessions that we had here uh, in the evening time. Um, I attended the alternate history um, session. And basically they talked about, you know... Um, how you how are you going to set your novel? I mean, of course, it's fantasy. Sometimes, though, it, it, fantasy takes place in, in what we would consider maybe the real world, but perhaps you've tweaked it somehow, like, um, you know, I, I guess a good example would be Hitler wins the war, you know, right? I mean, Philip K. Dick had his whole, uh, the what's it called? It's on, it's on uh, Amazon. I totally forgot the, the name of the Man story. Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle, right? I mean, that's a complete takeoff on... on an alternate history. Not only is it an alternate alternate history, at least in the in the TV show, it's an alternate dimension, really. Mm -hmm. So, but um, one of the one of the panelists made a comment says, you know, one if you're doing an alternate history, you want to create a world that allows your protagonist to do what they need to do. Um, so they, um, so whatever history you're creating or world you're creating, uh, she used the example of like she had a uh, her hero was a. Um, a gunslinger who went around killing people in the West, right? Well, so she, she had to create a uh, a world where she wasn't going to get in trouble every time she killed somebody, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, so you have to create those kind of, uh, you know, histories or, or, or whatever when it comes to that. So um, I can't really think of other fantasy books or things. I mean, well, I mean, anytime you create a fantasy world, you're creating an alternate history, right? I mean, because you have to... Basically. Yeah, you create something outside of that. But um, or, anytime you're writing fantasy, anytime, right? Even if you use this world, there's still going to be an alternate history because in the real world, fantasy or magic or fairies or dragons don't exist. So therefore, it is an alternate history, wouldn't it be? Well, I, so. I mean, just to go the easy route look at Harry Potter, I mean, right. there's this whole other world that we didn't even know existed. Right, they actually brought up Harry Potter in, the, in that whole thing, yeah, in, in that whole uh, session talking about that, where they had created this world of magic, but um, it, it was a world of magic that existed completely separate from the other world, you know, you had to go through something to get to that world, whether you have to go through some pub to get to Diagon Alley, or you had to take the, the nine and three quarters you know, station to get to uh, the Hogwarts Express, right? So anyway, uh, it was a, it was a very interesting session. You went into your room and watched watched your session on your computer. What session was that? Well, it was on science, though. They actually spent a lot of more time talking about magic than they did science. <laughs> Um, so they said they said a lot of the same things that we talked about or that were talked about during the power systems, uh -huh. but um, it was different panelists, so different uh, points of view. Mm -hmm. um, and they did make the the case that really science, when you don't understand it, is magic. Mm -hmm. So. Um, some of the one of the panelists said that she had read a book where oh um the main character had a magic item that built up kinetic energy when they moved and so then they could use that for one time big pulse of energy or something and so just like saying that's kind of a 
a real like science thing. Black Panther's outfit, right? Kind of. Yeah. But not really anything we can actually do. So it's still magic, but it's still kind of science. Right, right. Well, maybe if we ever found uh, uh, um, what's the what's the metal that makes him do everything in the Marvel universe? <laughs> oh golly. We just watched that. Yeah, I know, and they say it every single movie, and I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, stuff that Captain America's shield's made out of, all that kind of stuff. Anyway. It starts, like, with a V or something. Right, right. I think so. I can't remember. I want to say Veritron, but <laughs> so I what happens when we get is. old. So what happens when we get old. So, well, that's interesting. Is there anything else you want to talk about on that one? Um, They did mention, like, uh, you always need to think through your magic or your science, um, but remember that most of the time it's just the tip of the iceberg you want to show the the reader you don't want them to have to read the whole theory right whole background that's just gonna get boring so you need to understand it so that you don't break your own rules right but you don't don't definitely need to just go into this long diatribe but you can if you want. We can if you want to. Just know that there's only certain people that are going to enjoy that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, some people do that in their books, right? I mean, I could think I, I'm pretty sure uh, um, uh, Arthur C. Clarke was famous for doing that. And uh, I know for a fact uh, uh, Tom Clancy was famous for doing that in his books. <laughs> hey, let me give you the specs for the entire uh, you know nuclear submarine class that we're dealing with here. Yeah, those yeah. are the parts I always kind of skipped over. I'm like, and then I'd get to another part, and I was like, wait. I have to go read that. <laughs> what? Where did this come in? Yeah. I don't remember this happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. Right there. It's like, oh, it must have been back where he was telling me about things right. that I didn't understand, and my eyes were glazing over. Right? For sure. Um, and I guess also they just said, no, what? story you're trying to tell and figure out the things that actually serve the story you know rather than like serving your own interests or whatever what do you mean your own interests like your personal interests or what yeah i mean some people spend a lot of time figuring out their systems and they want to share it they want oh, people see to see saying. how brilliant they are mm -hmm. but if if you're not telling the story about this brilliant magic system if you're trying to tell, you know, tell Harry Potter. You don't want to write out the whole long, boring history. Right. You can just, save that for another book. <laughs> right? right. If you yeah. get famous, then you can write that book That's right. and, and publish it. Because now everybody wants to know because right. they love Harry Potter. But if that was the first book, it maybe never would have gotten anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, unless you're Tolkien, and then you still get away with it. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> no. Okay, good, good. Well, um, the next hour, uh, they we, we still had split up. I attended the Black Women in Fantasy uh, um, session that they had, which was really good. Um, the uh, uh, presenters, I'm going to completely massacre their names. Um, well, the, the, the presenter herself, her name was, <laughs> please forgive me, Nikina Anwuzurua. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And then there was Christine Taylor Butler, um, I want to say Eugene Bacon, and then Sheree Renee Thomas. Um, they all each uh, 
the three ladies, they read a piece from one of their books. Um, they were really good. Uh, I, I want to say her name is, you say Eugen? I, I'm not sure if that's correct. But anyway, she read first and she read really well. And then Christine uh, Taylor Butler was uh, second and she almost refused to read because uh, Eugen had done such a great job in reading her book. And, <laughs> and uh, But anyways, it was really well done. Um, it was fascinating to hear about fantasy and fantasy worlds um, from an African perspective or a black perspective, um, whether it be f um, from the United States or from people from Africa or, or uh, uh, Eugene, I believe, was from uh, Australia. Um, so it was, it was interesting to, uh, to hear that. Um, being as white and pasty white as a piece of paper, uh, it was good to, to be uh, exposed to that kind of stuff and listen to them talk. And, um, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was it was really good. And, and the uh, Sh uh, Cherie Renee Thomas, she made the comments about um, how uh, um, the uh, there's all these um, black women, especially that are, are getting their books published within the next year. <laughs> and of course, she's excited and they're like, yeah, bring it on. You know, we got the money. Heck yeah. Show me the money. But um, they're all, it's also at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, we've, it, like she said, she's like, it's not like they all sat down at the exact same time and decided to write these books. Um, they've been out there, um, we've been, they've been trying to get the publishing industry to notice these people for the past 20 years. And <laughs> with the exception of people like the ladies that were on the panel and maybe like N.K. Jemison or whatever, they don't publish the books, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so now all of a sudden there's this big flood because, pro you know, I'm assuming because of the Black Lives Matter movement that's happened this summer uh, and the protests that have went on. And, and, and so now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we need to to capitalize, I guess, maybe on this movement. And, and, and I guess in one sense that's like, wow, okay, you're still... <laughs> You're still using these people. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, well, they're going to get published. And so it's this weird position to be in, I guess, especially mm. if you're a black writer, especially a woman, a female black writer. But um, you know what? I would I would highly suggest you go get these these uh, ladies books. They were phenomenal. I really enjoyed the, the reader, the reading. And uh, um, they're just uh, you see fantasy from a totally different perspective because they have a different perspective mm. um, than white people, which has been the dominant, um, you know, especially white males uh, that have written in this genre for decades. Mm -hmm. So it's good to hear different voices. Definitely. What about you? What class did you go to during that time? I went to a class on food. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Fantasy food, yay. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting okay, good. Was topic yeah. because I've... I had this critique partner through a weird website that I was doing for a while and she really was kind of a terrible critique partner but she laid into me in one part of my book that she read because there was a scene where the people were eating and she's like nobody wants to read this you know yeah we know they eat fine whatever you don't put in your character goes to the bathroom like well in chapter whatever <laughs> <laughs> maybe you do if it's important to the story um 
So I, I was really curious to see, you know, why they would put that as a panel when I got railed for having a meal. Yeah, sure. Um, and um, so they, they talked a lot about a lot of different things. Um, like the way that food is prepared, like cooked gives you clues into the social class of the people like if it's simple if it doesn't have meat because generally meat's more expensive um you know if it has to be cooked in an expensive oven or if you can just kind of stick it by a fire right you know it gives you a lot of information about the society also um they talked about even like spices like in some cultures where they don't have a lot of spices naturally then they kind of hold up spices as like the the noble people's food is spicy because they can afford the spices so poor people's food would be bland but then in other cases like if certain spices are abundant then poor people would maybe use them more because they don't have the meat and the good ingredients to put in there mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. they even made the point that so you like, see that like like indian cultures or something like that yeah right? those those uh asian types cultures where poor people if they had meat, it probably wasn't very good meat. Sure. So a lot of spice could hide the fact that the meat wasn't that great tasting. Right. Right. So, um, uh, they talked about also, um, to think about the climate that your story's occurring in because that's going to have an effect on how long food lasts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Also, like, um, whether it's common for the people in your society to eat together or if they only do it at certain times and, you know, how that all works together. Um, one thing they did bring up was talking about um, J.R. Tolkien, how... The hobbits, there's like these pretty detailed descriptions of the food that they eat. Mm -hmm. But then you get on the journey and all they have is this elf bread. Lambus bread or whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just say, saying how interesting it was. Like he had modeled this society kind of after the English, the hobbit society. But then the elves were something completely different and like did he want it to come off that they're very utilitarian about the way they eat or was it just that they're they were transient at that point and so they were eating um just for survival or was he just not able to think of anything that sounded elvish <laughs> hmm. i don't know i would i would say that that last one is probably not the case with tolkien <laughs> considering how much he he uh, wrote and rewrote and wrote and rewrote his stuff, you know? I, I don't, yeah, I highly, I don't think that. That is probably the case. Anyways. 
guess. But yeah, huh. interesting. Well, and then the last session uh, for this evening was, uh, I believe it was entitled War in Fairyland. Is that correct? I, I think that's Warfare. what it was. Warfare. Warfare in Fairyland? Fairyland, I think. Anyway. I wrote Warfare. <laughs> yeah, we don't, <laughs> but uh, it, it was interesting. Um, it, there was basically two panelists. It was Dave Doring and, uh, I'm sorry, I cannot remember the lady's name. Um, I did. I um, I'm bad. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Dave's name st sticks in my mind since he does LTUE every year. Um, but uh, anyway, it, uh, it was fascinating. It was interesting to hear, like, you know, just thinking about how would, you know, the warfare be uh, utilized in a, in a fantasy setting and, and thinking about um, setting that kind of stuff up. Of course, generally in fantasy, warfare is important to the story. There's always sword play, especially in... Mm -hmm. in uh, in fantasy, um, at least traditional fantasy. So, um, what did you get out of that session? Um, well, they did touch a lot on the same, some of the same stuff that um, has been in several of the sessions about thinking through, like how the weapons that the characters have available to them are going to affect how battles play out. Right. Um, certainly, you know, it's going to look different if you have magic. And that's another place that you really have to think about what the rules of the magic are because a battle is not going to be very interesting if one side has all the magic and the other side doesn't have any. Right, right, right. Unless, you know, you're able to balance one side having great technology against magic something like that mm -hmm. um one comment they made that i thought was pretty poignant was that if it works it always works and if it doesn't work it always doesn't work you can't just suddenly switch things up in the middle of a battle and be like oh but this one time um hmm. that's true because it's a tempting thing to do. <laughs> you write yourself into a corner. It's like, well, maybe just this once. <laughs> um, You've tried to do that in some of your battle scenes? Well, I don't know that I've gone that far. I have, I struggle a lot with trying to keep them interesting. Um, they did deal with like a point of view in this session in the way you write. Like, if, if you're writing Omniscient, you can pull back from a battlefield and show everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. But if you're writing in, in a close point of view to your character, you can really only tell what your character is able to see and hear and experience. And so, unless they have a way to communicate with people around the battlefield, they don't have any clue really what's happening and so um you have to be consistent however you do it you have to be consistent um and not just suddenly like oh and they just happened to figure out that this thing was going on over here that nobody else noticed um <laughs> right right uh so yeah it's it's tricky. Yeah. 
Well, um, I think it was a it was a good first day at the virtual World Fantasy Convention 2020, and I look forward to the next. Uh, what we still have basically three days left, right? It goes until Sunday, does it not? Um, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of sessions on Sunday, but but that's when they wrap up, right? Yeah, right, and that's I think when they do the awards, or is that? Yeah, the yeah. awards, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, tune in. Uh, we'll have some more dispatches tomorrow night from uh, here at uh, Simpleton Review. I hope you enjoyed it. You can check out K.S. Anglesey's writing at ksanglesey.com. Uh, if you're interested in checking out a little bit more about Simpleton Review, you can do so at simpletonreview.com. And we look forward to talking to you tomorrow night. We're talking with you, talking about... I, we're not going to talk about you, I promise that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we even know you. That's right. You guys have a wonderful night. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>